Well, good morning. Uh, real quickly before I begin, just want to reiterate that uh, this next Sunday uh, we have a special weekend planned. We have a guest speaker, uh, John Winrick, who is the president of our denomination. He's been a missionary and a church planter and a pastor. He'll be here to speak. Uh, traveling with him will be uh, Paul Robinson. Uh, he is a uh, the director of our Love, Mercy, Do Justice initiative in our denomination. So they'll be here and they'll preach. And then that night uh, we're going to have a dinner at 6 uh, and then a meeting with them at 6.30 where they're going to cast vision. Uh, they'll answer questions, address any questions or concerns that we may have as individuals or congregations. So uh, please, please uh, come and be a part of that. Well, this morning we are continuing the sermon series that we kicked off back in September as we are working our way through the Immerse uh, Bible, the, the, the Old Testament prophets. And if you're new uh, to us, what we were, we're doing is every once or so a, a year, twice a year, we're taking big chunks of the Bible and reading through them together and we're studying them and, and, and looking at them in small groups and classes and addressing some of that on Sunday mornings. And, and the reason we do that is because we believe this is the Word of God. You know, we, we believe that God speaks to us through his word, through his Holy Spirit and reveals to us who he is, his nature, his plans, his purposes, his character. You know, he, he reveals to us uh, um, our need for him and, and 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 we learn and grow that way. So I would encourage you if you if you want to grow spiritually, if you want to you kind of feel closer to God and, and have a better understanding, deepen your faith, um, I encourage you a steady diet of of Bible reading, of study, reflection, of hearing the word, of practicing and putting it into, into practice, uh, that's really essential. On April 16th, 1963, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. Uh, was sitting in a prison cell in Birmingham, Alabama. And his context was uh, the, the nation was uh, in a state of turmoil, really. It was the, the turbulent 60s. Um, you know, the, the Vietnam War, the protests, the, the peace movement, um, the, the racial issues, the segregation, the race riots, uh, uh, the younger generation basically rejecting many of the younger gener- generation, just basically rejecting uh, the values and the priorities and the, 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 the culture of their parents and grandparents. It was into that setting that MLK wrote the famous letter from a Birmingham jail, which was addressed specifically to Christian leaders and pastors. Uh, encouraging them and scolding them and challenging them to 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 address some of these issues and to and to practice what they preach, so to speak. Well, our passage that West just read has some parallels because the prophet Jeremiah was most likely sitting in a prison cell. Many people believe that uh, he was in prison. We know that from the scriptures, but that when he actually wrote this passage, he would have been sitting in a prison cell. And his context was, uh, was also there's some parallels. His, he looked around at the state of his nation, the people of Israel, and the, the nations around, and there was division upon religious lines, you know, Jew and Gentile and race lines. Um, the people of Israel were rebelling against, you know, the traditions and the laws and the commands that had been passed down from Moses and their ancestors. There was a lot of injustice. Uh, you look through the prophets, you can't avoid it. It's all over the place. That's one of the biggest complaints or issues that God has with the people of Israel at that time was people who are vulnerable were being taken advantage by the, the powerful and the privileged and the connected. And the worst part in many ways was that the religious leaders, the vast majority of them were kind of turning a blind eye toward it. Um, they were uh, participating in it. They were encouraging it, sometimes leading it. And so there was this, this hypocrisy. That's another theme that God addresses in the prophets. There's this hypocrisy amongst the people of God and their leaders and it was entrenched and had been for many years. So that's his context. And his ministry had overlapped parts of the 6th century and 7th century B.C. 
And Jeremiah was often thought, we often refer to him as the weeping prophet because, um, because he's a very passionate guy. He felt things deeply. You read through this and, and you, you see where he, he basically begs God to spare his people. He knows that they're getting what they deserve, what's coming, but he begs God to, to spare them, to remember his mercy, to be patient and kind. And, and yet in the midst of all the rejection he gets because of this message, he wasn't very popular. Prophets rarely are. He remains steadfast and loyal and faithful. And so this passage we get to in the preceding half of the book of Jeremiah, there's the God is doing this, this. He's warning the people of Israel. He's he's listening as making the case. He's listing the things that the sins that they've committed and and, and, and listing and warning them about what's going to come. But like you see in the rest of the prophets, even in the midst of this, even as God's making the case, God is not willing to give up on them. In fact, the, the message floods through that God still loves them, is still committed to them. So let's pick it up now at verse 31. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Judah and, and Israel. And this covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. So what's this previous covenant? Is it the other one? I'm going to make a new one because this other one's not working. What was that covenant? Well, way back in, the, in Genesis chapter 12, we see where God calls a man named Abraham. And um, there's nothing special about Abraham. He didn't deserve this calling. Uh, he was just chosen. It's, it's, it's God's grace. And this is what God said to him. Go from your country, your people and your father's household to the land I will show you. So the land which they eventually called Israel and lived in. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you, and I'll make your name great, and you'll be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse, and all the peoples on earth will be blessed through you. A lot of blessing, right? And so God makes this, this covenant with him. He enters into a relationship with Abraham and his descendants. And God is good to his word. And God keeps up his end of the deal. God is faithful. He blesses Abraham and his people. And this one man, his descendants, they, they become this, this nation that is centered around worshiping God and honoring God. And God gives them land and God gives them victory over the enemies. God blesses them. God's faithful. But Israel was not. I mean, God gives them the law. He gives them the Ten Commandments. He gives them instructions on how to live and to treat other people, treat them justly, be kind, you know, go the extra mile, be compassionate, those sorts of things. God reveals to them who he is, his nature and his character. And they reject him. And so God sends prophets to encourage, to warn, to plead, to cajole. And sometimes they repent, but it was always short lived. And their trajectory was a sad trajectory. One step forward, two steps back. One step forward, two steps back. Wasn't going the right direction. And the result was, like it always is, when we reject God and walk away from Him, they began to lose their ability to hear Him. They began to lose their ability to understand or perceive. Nutshell, the Old Covenant wasn't working. I mean, it was a systematic failure, all right? From the top, from the, 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 the temple, the religious leaders, the government, the king, all the way down to the homes, marriages and families, generational, cultural, national, sin and failure. Everything's, it's, it's, it's a systematic failure. 
And remember that what Israel's call was? They're supposed to be a blessing to the rest of the world. They're supposed to be a light to the rest of the world. Um, they're supposed to spread and illuminate God's truth and love and blessing, but the light is flickering. I mean, the, the wick is barely smoldering. And they're supposed to be different and distinct from the nations around them. And on the surface, they were. There was a veneer of difference. You know, uh, they were viewed as kind of oddballs. I mean, they, they wore certain hats and they washed their hands in this and that. And they, before they did this and that, and they had all these rituals and they didn't eat certain foods. And they, they said there's only one God and this and that. So there was a difference on the surface, but beneath the surface in how they treated people, on what they actually did worship and put their trust in, they were just like everybody else. Rebellious, idolatrous, and unjust. On top of that, they used the law of Moses to make themselves feel superior. And they, they would twist it to justify their actions. And they ignored it when it didn't benefit them. And they enforced it beyond the letter of the law to gain advantage or to hurt. And God looked at this and God weeps. And his prophet Jeremiah in his prison cell, he looks at this and he weeps. He's heartbroken. And the problem wasn't with the giver of the law. It was with those who had received it. And then God speaks in this passage two words. He repeats it over and over. And this makes all the difference for the people of Israel, all the difference for us as well. God says, I will. Basically, God gives this message to Jeremiah. Since Israel cannot keep the covenant, in the coming days, I will establish a new covenant. And this one is going to be totally dependent upon me, my faithfulness, my covenant kept by my love and my actions and my character. God says, you can't, I will. So what does he say I will about? Verse 32 but this is the new covenant I will make with the people of Israel after those days. I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts. So through this covenant, God will instruct his people directly. Now, this doesn't seem like anything earth-shattering to us, but in the Old Testament times, the priests were the mediators between the people and God. I mean, they made the sacrifices. They taught the law. They're like, you know, this is what it means. And this is, wasn't, don't apply it that way. And you have to do this. And they were the ones who instructed in the law. But they failed because they were human. They were not able to live up to what they taught and believed. And God saw that. So, so God sent his son Jesus to be our perfect high priest and to make sacrifices, to make a sacrifice once and for all of himself, to fulfill the law where we could not live up to it, to tear down the wall between us and God once and for all. And so in the New Testament, from that point on, we're told that we are all priests. I mean, sure, there's people who do what I do or this or that or Bible study leaders or small group, whatever. I mean, you know, but 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 that we're a priesthood of believers. We have direct access to God. Through Christ, through the Holy Spirit. And so through the Spirit, God works deeply within our hearts and our minds to engrave His truth on us, to mark us as His own, and to enable us to grow and to understand and to obey Him. I will, says Lord, do this. You can't, but I will. Next, God says, I will be their God and they will be my people. You know, so God, through the new covenant, God commits to them, commits to us with truth and with love. 
Now, remember the story of Hosea? I started the series with Hosea back in the middle of September. Kind of a fascinating, kind of like, I can't believe this is in the Bible story, you know. Uh, Hosea, the Old Testament prophet, uh, the people of Israel are rebelling against God. They're unfaithful. And God says, you know, Hosea, you're going to be my prophet. And now you're going to be an object lesson. Okay. Because um, I want you to see that woman. She's a prostitute. Go marry her. Start a family with her. He does it. She goes back to her old life. And he's a public laughingstock. And God says, now I want you to go remarry her or pull her back to you, bring her back to the house and, and continue to have a family. And God says, this is what I'm going to do for Israel. God's basically saying, though you have been cheated on me, though you've embarrassed me publicly, though you haven't even said you're sorry, you haven't really apologized in front of my neighbors, my family, the whole world today, I say to you, I will be your husband. You'll be my wife. Nothing's going to change that. I'm all in. And then God says, furthermore, my commitment to you is not based on my feelings. Though I love you more than you can even imagine. It's based upon my word, my character, my promise. And you can depend upon that. So in the old covenant, God basically says, you could not keep your marriage vows. You know, you said I do. I said I do. You said I will. I said I will. And so you, you broke them. So I'm going to make new marriage vows, a new covenant with you. And it's based upon what I do. It has nothing to do with you. Now, because God is so indescribable and so mysterious and beautiful and amazing, this marriage metaphor, it's really beautiful, but it, it can't fully express it, right? It's hard to get your mind around that kind of love. So another theme we have here is adoption. In this new covenant, God says, I will be your God. And you will be my people. I choose you. We're in this together. No matter how you act, I am still your father. I will always be your father. You're my people. You're my children. The next I will in this new covenant is in verse 34. And I will remember, excuse me, and I will forgive their wickedness and I will never again remember their sins. So in this new covenant, God forgives and he forgets. Now, just to be clear, when you have these covenants in the Bible, it's not like covenants that we have in marriage. When you stand up here and you say, I do, to your husband or your wife, you're, 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 hopefully you're seeing each other as equals. You know? We're entering this together. We're on the same level. We're, we're, we're equals. You commit to that. But in the Bible, the covenant that God makes with his people, it's not a, it's not a relationship of equals. You know, God's perfect and just and loving and wise and all powerful and, and holy and, and good. And, I mean, it's just, and, and then there's us. And so any, any covenant we have with God, it's, it's nothing that we can earn. It's always based upon grace. And we certainly don't get what we deserve, which is mercy. So God sees us and says, you don't deserve this and you can't earn it. But it's how God says, I will forgive and I will forget. Now, I know that all of us here have forgiven somebody of something. And, you know, little things, but some big things probably. Or you've been forgiven also. I'm sure we've all been forgiven for doing something. Maybe a little of something, maybe something big. And we don't really forget. I mean, we can get to the place where, oh, I forgot that happened. Or, oh, it's just kind of a, 
it's, it's healed. You know, it doesn't really, oh, that, that's, it's for past. It doesn't really matter to me. But you know, we, we still remember, right? We forgive. We move on. Hopefully it doesn't become something that we can't let go of. But, but God can. He forgives and he forgets. You know, and this is not just here he says this. You know, in, in the Psalms he says, As far as the east is from the west, so far I remove your transgressions from you. I will remove your transgressions. I mean, that's a long way. East from west never comes together. He, for, he, he lets go of it. He forgets it. He forgives. I mean, you can think of it this way. You know, um, maybe, maybe God's having a conversation with an angel in heaven. And, and he's like, did you see what Doug? And the angel says, did you see what Doug did yesterday? Did you see what? Did you hear what he said? Do you, did, you, did you see what he was thinking? And, and God says, I forget. God says in the new covenant, I will forgive their sin and I will forget that. We can't, but God can. You know, last week we looked at Habakkuk, the Old Testament prophet, and uh, we kind of had a different opposite of this. We looked at his statements as Habakkuk, I will. Though I suffer, though I don't understand, though these promises may not be filled in my lifetime, though I have doubts, Though I don't have the big picture, yet I will rejoice. Yet I will trust. Which is an inspiring and impressive example for us. And and I've seen people do that. I mean, I think of a woman this morning. I'm going to go see her after church. She's in her last hours. And she has peace. She has joy. She's not afraid. She's ready. This is happening, yet I will rejoice. Yet I will have peace. But even the best of us can't do that all the time. I mean, there are times when we say, I can't, or I don't want to. Or maybe even rebellion and defiance, we put up, stomp our foot and say, I will not. But God says, I see that. I love you. I understand. And because you can't, I will. And when God says, I will, he does not waver. And because of that, we have hope and joy and peace and purpose. So, let's look at these I wills. If you're struggling with loneliness today or depression, God says this in Scriptures. Be strong and courageous. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. If you're struggling with providing for your family, God says to the Apostle Paul in Philippians 4, I will supply every need of yours through my riches in Christ Jesus. If you're struggling with some sort of conflict or tension or fight, God says in Exodus 14, I will fight for you. You have only to be silent and to trust. Maybe at a crossroads in life, struggling with direction or clarity, God says in his word in Proverbs 3, 5, and 6, In all your ways acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Are you tired and just bone weary with just everything happening in your life and world? Jesus said, come to me, all who labor and are overworked, and I will give you rest. Maybe you're wondering if, 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 you, if God can do something in your life, if he's still at work in your life. God said to the Apostle Paul again, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So this new covenant 
the good news is it's not based upon us. It's not based upon I can, I want to, I will. But it's based upon God's I can, I am able, I promise, I will. And in Jesus Christ, God did. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for this word. We thank you for the, the, this new covenant that you established through Jesus Christ. We thank you that he made the sacrifice for us. We thank you that he fulfilled the law. We thank you that we can relate to you personally and directly through faith in him. We thank you through him that you can write, you will write your word upon our hearts. Thank you, Lord, that you are God of compassion and mercy and that when we can't, that you will. We thank you for that, Lord. Help us to walk in trust in you completely. We thank you for your, your love for us and faithfulness. We offer ourselves to you now in Jesus' name. Amen.